This is Coda Radio, episode 501 for January 17th, 2023. Hello, friend, and welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and defending off the Florida home invaders, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Ahoy from the Tampa Bay area, where we're pirates and gators, and you've seen my brethren on the they news. They come in on a boat. They come in on a boat and we ride out on a gator. They attack the home. That's a new one. <laughs> Man, if that's what it's like in Florida, I'm moving. I'm coming down. That sounds great. That sounds like a good time. You know what? There are no boring days in Florida. There's so many exciting ways to be killed here. <laughs> Everybody's armed, and there are angry dinosaurs. I mean, what else do you need? Yeah, and then pirates on top of that, and, right? Not, and then you got storms too that I don't, I don't have to worry about as well. Right. All I have is volcanoes, earthquakes, and bears. So, you know. <laughs> but the bears seem kind of chill. I, although uh, a sad yeah. day for the pirate bay. The uh, Euro Euro folks of the pirate bay thought we'll live in a place that's historically known for pirates. Not that kind of pirate, bro. They were. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. mm-hmm. they're not going to, nobody's donating to the EFF, put it that way. <laughs> All right, well, uh, I'm impressed. I got to admit, I didn't I didn't expect there would be three episodes of Gamer Radio already. Yes. Boys on fire over there. Loving it. Yeah? I mean, uh, don't you know you're supposed to like hold the goods back for a little bit and trickle it out? Don't you know like the strategy? So, so dirty secret, <laughs> there's actually others recorded too. You madman. Well, that's great. It was a busy, busy week. GamerRadio.fireside. .fm for that. And uh, I assume it's probably in the podcast directories now. Yep. So, and we linked to the podcast index entry, but that's great to see, dude. Three episodes is a good, that's a good start. Thank you. Listener uh, Eric from the R podcast on the most recent episode. Good guy. I think he's listening live. There he is right there. There he is right there. Good guy. He's right there live. Yeah, we had a good Sega chat. We, uh, of course, you know, Gamer Radio has Sega. Uh, Pour one out and we have... Over here at Coder Radio, we have Sun Microsystems. So let's just cry. Let's get it over with. Too early in, too early in the show, man. Too early in the show. I know, to, to, to bring up the pain. I am glad I scheduled the robes for the end of the month because, one, like a huge region just, we had it, we had a, we had like this whole like thing get like the table turned on us and a whole region just was all of a sudden like, oh no, we can't ship to there kind of thing. Like, I knew it. I knew it. I could sense it. You know, like the, the, the last go around, dude. The ropes are cursed. I don't understand. I've got like a sense of it now, right? And we've got it handled. I'm I'm feeling good about it, but I'm glad we delayed it. It will be at the end of the month, though. That still is on track for the for the orders, pre orders or orders. I'm not sure exactly what to call them, but I am all the other reason I'm glad we didn't launch it last week is like I don't think anybody listened to the episode last week. You know, like the only people listening are the people here, the people here live. Why we did not? Unless my spam filter got it, I didn't see a single email about episode 500. We had a birthday party, Mike, and nobody showed up. We got a couple of boosts, but nothing major, just a couple of boosts, but like no emails. Hardly, like it was crickets. It was strange. There was a time when this show was dead and people were clamoring for us to bring it back. And now we get to 500 and like nobody notices. It's fine. I think it was just, I was very excited because it was the first 500th episode for Jupiter Broadcasting in general. So I got very excited about it. But you know what? It's all right. We threw a birthday party. Nobody showed up. Oh, it's a new year. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and you and I should be used to that anyway, you know, if it's high school. It ebbs and flows too, right? Like there's times of the years where the audience is just super busy with life in general. And there's times of the year where they're super tuned in and we're getting a million emails. So I understand it. I'm glad that I'm waiting because I suspect by end of January, March, it'll pick back up again, which is probably when the robe's going to be ready. Maybe Apple will learn that lesson, too, because just before we went on the air, they announced not one, but two new Macs, well, updated at least, and they announced the M2 Pro and the M2 Max or something. Maybe the Max is the new chip. The M2 Max chip, which goes up to 96 gigs of RAM. That's kind of a monster. Uh, The M2 Pro chip features 10-core CPU or 12-core CPU, depending on the SKU that you get. They're promising serious graphics, um, serious graphics performance. They didn't really give super specifics because they compared it all against the Intel generations, but they updated the Mini. They gave the Mini an M2 Pro. The M2 Pro Mac Mini comes with two additional Thunderbolt 4 ports on the back as well. Again, you can go up to big amounts of RAM, I think 8, eight terabytes of storage. And the price now starts at $599, instead of like $799 or whatever it was before, $699 for the Mac Mini. 
Your thoughts, any reactions to this sort of low-key Apple-style announcement? They published a video, which we could probably talk about. Uh, you know, and they did PR releases on their website, and they updated their favorite tech outlets. But no event, um, no no ceremony, really, just new chips. And they actually revved the Mac Mini in a reasonable amount of time. Yeah, I think it's I think it's appropriate, right? I, uh, the bottom line for both of these devices is, you know, same as before, faster. Arguably, you could say that the HDMI 2.1 uh, update is a bigger deal, but only if you're like a graphics designer who cares about 8K. I mean, these are obviously good machines. Uh, I have an M1 Pro, MacBook Pro, or yeah, the, the naming's a little confusing, but I, you know, there's no real reason for anyone to update from that. I guess to me, the funny part about this is, all right, if AMD and, and uh, Intel are sprinting to keep up, well, they just lost another 100 or two, so 100 yards, right? Because these are, assuming Apple's just not full of crap, which they tend to be relatively honest in their benchmarks. Yeah, I mean, they're widening the gap faster than AMD and Intel can keep up, especially if you correct for power, power consumption. They're claiming 22 hours of battery life, too, with the new MacBook Pro update, which is pretty remarkable. That's huge, right? And, the, and again, they're doing this not only with the power envelope they are, but with the low noise profile that they are. Like, you can't even hear the machines when they're doing it. That's all really remarkable. I wonder, though, you know, they're claiming 20% faster CPUs. Uh, the GPU can, can be configured with more GPU cores. The efficiency cores are even more efficient. And, you know, all these things, right? But don't we just have the iPad problem here now? We have fantastic hardware. Really, like the MacBook Pro Max that I have, the, the squared off one, the 16-inch one with the current design, I think is peak Apple hardware design. The system itself is absolutely elegant, powerful, fast. The battery life is everything people claim it is. The performance is redonkulous. I mean, I've been generating stable diffusion images all morning long while I have three other monitors going full of work, browsing the web, watching videos, and the fans never even spin up. And I'm, you know, generating 15 images, image batches at a time. It's really, it's really impressive. The, the problem is macOS. Just like on the iPad, the problem is iPadOS and the App Store and Apple policies in general. I'm just going to kind of lump that all together to keep this simple. I don't think macOS is up to the task anymore. I watched the video that Apple put out and they show um, people that are working on the Mac. They cut out all the struggles. Even with the tight cutting that they did, you can still tell that it was clunky for these people to use the interface. And there's lots of rough spots on it. And I've had, and I've documented on this show, substantial stability problems to the point now where I just leave the machine on and all of the screens indefinitely because otherwise I spend, I, I, I waste 15, 20 minutes of my morning nurse mating my machine into operation again. It's just not tenable. And you have that headwind, I believe, combined with the fact that everybody bought in in the last update round. Anybody that was probably going to get a Mac that's been waiting bought in this last round. Yeah, I think that's a bigger deal, right? That if you already have an M1, certainly if you have an M1 Pro or Max, I don't think most people, uh, even people, you know, listening to Coder are are going to be maxing that out. Yeah, it's like 96 gigs of RAM is very specific, right? Like I have 64 gigs of RAM in my machine and I I just kind of I just sort of gave you an idea of what my morning looked like and I'm still not hitting the max on that machine. I mean, I don't even know what I have in my MacBook Pro anymore. I think it's, uh, I think I only have 16, to be honest. I don't even know what the CPU speed clock is. Like, I don't even know. It just like doesn't matter anymore. And so I feel that when you look at that little fast enough kind of is what, how everybody feels combined with the, the, the reality that macOS itself is just not really up to the task of dealing with a machine that powerful um, and it's getting too brittle. I, I just don't know. I think it's going to, I think it's going to be an issue. I don't think they're going to have tremendous sales of these, although I think they're reasonable updates and I do want to give Apple credit for finally getting around to updating the mini on a regular cycle. I would love to see them keep that up. So I think the mini could be a, a surprise dark horse here, right? Because there are lots of businesses who use minis as uh, you know, Xcode build servers, render farms, things like that. And yeah, it's it's just not as sexy, right? Like this, although the studio does exist. See, I think see, I I wonder where where the line between mini and studio is, right? Yeah, it just got a little more blurred, didn't it? With if you can get a mini with an M2 Pro, yeah, the studio needs a rev now already. I mean, obviously the confusion has hurt Uncle Tim. Yeah, no, um, 
this doesn't look good, but I don't know if it's actually as serious as the financial press is reporting it. I don't think it matters. I think it's like a stock thing. It's like, it's like performance-based, right? It's always an incentive. If they're just rewarding or, I guess, punishing, <laughs> isn't that what's happening here? Is Tim Cook is taking a 50% pay hit after, quote, shareholder feedback. The Apple chief executive, of course, this is an article I've linked in the show notes from The Guardian. The Apple chief executive, Tim Cook, is expected to have his pay cut by almost 50% this year to about a measly $49 million after the billionaire boss asked the company to adjust his compensation, in quotes, in light of the feedback from shareholders disappointed with the company's share price. In other words, they were going to vote on it anyways. He got ahead of it. Cook's annual base salary bonus will remain unchanged at $3 million and $6 million, respectively. The amount given in share bonuses will also now be more dependent on Apple's share price performance than it was last year. Now, 75% of the share bonus is dependent on Apple's stock market performance, up from 50% last year. So he gets a cut, a 50% haircut in his salary, and his bonuses, and his, which are from sh his share bonuses, are now even more dependent on the performance of the stock, which is likely not going to do great over the next year. Right. Nobody says. Especially in tech, right? Maybe uh, defense, maybe some medical will. <laughs> Food production, <laughs> energy. energy. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. Not tech. Linode.com slash coder. That's where you go to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account. And it's a great way to support the show while you're checking out fast, reliable cloud hosting that's really been built for developers. You got to try it out for your next project because it's what I've used for everything for the last few years. And I recommend it. And I'm very picky. Linode is fast, it's reliable, and it has great support. And they've been rolling out upgrades since I've been a customer for the last few years. And I have friends who have been, cust have been customers for like a decade. I've been a customer for like three years. But in that three years, I got MVME storage, AMD Epic processors, upgrades to their internet connection. They're rolling out a dozen new data centers this year. If you're a performance hound or your application just needs storage throughput in general, Linode has the systems for you. If you're also looking for something that's just a lot of value, maybe it's a status website or it's a blog or a portfolio or something for your friends or family, maybe a small game server. Maybe you want to set up a personal Mastodon instance. They have systems at all the right price levels, and they're 30 to 50% cheaper than the big hyperscalers that want to lock you into their esoteric language and way of thinking about the cloud. Linode's been doing this for nearly 19 years on the merits of the product, and I mention that because it really, really matters. They didn't just get a big injection of fake money that just let them take off and hire like crazy and grow nutty and just throw in every single feature they could think of and hire, hire, hire. They had to build each thing carefully, craft every feature, have to make every single hiring decision with absolute precision because every single hire mattered and every feature made a difference. And they survived for nearly 19 years doing that. That's why when they give you a hundred bucks, they think it'll help sell the product, right? That's what the hundred bucks is about is they're so confident in their product that they think if you try it, you're going to love it. And the chances are you will. That's why they keep coming back to Coda Radio because our audience loves Linode when they try it. So go get the hundred bucks and support the show and kick the tires. Go to linode.com slash coder. I think it's the absolute best hosting provider out there. They just check all the boxes for me. Sure, you might be able to find something cheap, but they won't be around for very long, and you're going to end up doing a migration in a year or something like that. You know it. We've all tried that. Linode really strikes that balance, and they're in it for the long term. I love that about them, and it makes me feel good about running my fam family stuff on there or JB stuff on there, to tell you the truth. It's just something I don't have to worry about. I know Linode's got it. With great features like S3 object storage, databases of service, backups, and more. So go try it. Support the show. Linode.com slash coder. That's Linode.com slash coder. Well, at least things are going swimmingly over at Twitter, as it seems. Why won't this stop? Why won't the Twitter crap just stop? Because it's classic Elon, dude. I think this is an understandable decision implemented the worst way possible with the most amount of likelihood to cause blowback. <laughs> That's Elon's style. Like, if he just fixed that, his life would be so much easier. But um, according to the information and 9to5Google and now developers directly that create third-party Slack apps, their API access has been shut off. And internal Slack communications that have been leaked to the press indicate that this was done intentionally. This was done last Friday. We are now recording on Tuesday. There has been no communication to press or developers about this. And just sort of unceremoniously, their apps just 
quit working. <laughs> That's just awful. Just absolutely undignified and awful. I mean, why would you? Okay, so we should take a step back. There, There's the Twitter-specific thing, then there's a the larger issue. The Twitter-specific thing is... If you use a Twitter API for client apps, it does not include ads, which is almost certainly the reason that they, they're doing this, right? Because they're carrying all that just massive boulder of debt from the acquisition. They need money. Well, it's like you've said a million times. He's got he's got a big debt to pay. In fact, his, I think his first interest payment's due at the end of this month. And then additionally, I think what the Twitter files showed us is he had an agreement with Matt Taibbi. There was two conditions. Matt Taibbi had to publish on Twitter. And Matt Taibbi had to uh, attribute to Twitter. Those were Elon's two requirements in order for Matt to take the story, uh, for him to get the leaks or whatever you want to call it, the dump. And so I think that shows that Elon intends, I think that's also why he put the view counts on the tweets. He had them finally ship that feature. He wants Twitter to become a publishing platform because they're never going to make it in advertising if they just link out to stuff. That's always been why they haven't made any money. They are just essentially... The modern version of an RSS reader. Right, they're bad RSS. Yeah. Right. They need to actually be the place where people put their content. I think it's a horrible idea and not what Twitter is about, but it's where they're going. And when you combine that with advertising, where they want to go and how they want advertising to sustain that and how they've never made that work in the API for third party clients, I think it's pretty obvious why he did this why he, or why Twitter did this. I just think what's not obvious is why they had to do it so ham fistedly. But it is a sad move. I think it's really unfortunate because you imagine yourself if, you know, if Mad Botter was making Twitter third client parties for businesses to do, like, I don't know, some sort of special analytics. And all of a sudden, you know, your, your API is gone and you, your customers are calling you saying, Mike, the app doesn't work today. That's a pretty bad situation. It's so, okay. The Twitter stuff aside, this is the danger of writing your software as an indie that is tied to somebody else's platform. Because they can always just be like, no, we don't like you. Or more common, something that I have had happen to me, that's a great idea. And you're taking value from our customers that we could just capture ourselves because we're bigger than you, right? It's really just not good. It's a horrible position to be in because you ultimately can't do anything about it. And yeah, they can they can drop you like third period French, right? It, it It's just... It's not good. Now, the way that Twitter did this, or I guess Elon himself did this, is particularly horrible. <laughs> I mean, usually people give you like 30 to 90 days notice when they're about to like, you know, rage block your, your API keys. Unless you've done something like truly heinous, like you've tried to, you know, circumvent their security or whatever. I don't know. I think he just did this hoping it would be like a little bit of blowback and then go away because he basically did it over the weekend. So... I can't imagine they think this would just go away. This, you know, if you know the history of Twitter, this has been one of the most polarizing issues about Twitter since the very early days. Yeah, well, we've had, we've had shows about where we cover like the various times Twitter has tried to, you know, remember they put the cap on the number of clients you could sell and that was like a big deal. A hundred thousand user cap or whatever it was. Yeah. I mean, this is a little inside baseball. At one point I had tried to get Twitter's permission to do a, uh, kind of think of it as like a super Insta paper, but it would go through your Twitter feed and pull articles based on that. And they were like, no, it's bad. I mean, it you know, it, it one side effect is if you're trying to get into the iOS, you know, cool kid hipster community, and you're like a new dev or something. Uh, go get yourself a Mastodon account because that's where they're all going. No kidding. And now Tapbots already has come out and they have to, right? It said their Project Ivory, which is their Mastodon version of their Tweetbot project uh, client is coming out. Uh, as quick as possible, there's a beta. So yeah, you you know where you're going if you're like a up and coming Swift developer, and that's uh, you know as much as uh, Mastodon may not be as large as Twitter in terms of just general mainstreamness. You uh, all your all your folks are going to be there, right? You're you know you're kind of uh, well known iOS devs and Mac devs. So are we finally finally getting burned bad enough to learn the lesson about? creating dependency on these centralized platforms no no because post.news is getting a lot which looks like a cool product but it, it literally suffers from the same problem of they can just get rid of you yeah i also worry that if mastodon were to truly take off like to reach the next echelon i really worry it'd basically be like mastodon.social everybody would just go to one big server you'd have all these little other servers still but it effectively would centralize i mean wordpress has lots of people running their own wordpress sites but i would venture to guess 
that most uh, you know regular people are just going to WordPress.com and and hosting there, which ultimately, yeah, suffers the same problem. And for Mastodon to scale, it's going to need considerable rearchitecture. Mm-hmm. Whole swaths are going to have to get replaced, and it's going to need a group that can do that and deploy, just like early Twitter did. Remember the fail whale? Oh yeah, yeah. I look at things like Noster, um, which is a decentralized message relay social media platform that can be useful for other things. And I feel like if I were going to build a business on top of, of a foundation, anything that's a centralized social media platform or centralized or become centralized feels like it's building on top of sand because Twitter is a dumpster fire regardless of who's in control. And it's just choose your flavor of dumpster. And I can't imagine that it's ever really going to get much better. This is always going to be the issue because if they need to turn it into a huge platform to do payments and content, uh, it, there's going to be a lot of decisions like this. They're going to go against the grain of what's made Twitter great. And Twitter was great when you could get all that information in and out freely. And it kind of became like this nervous system of the Internet instead of a platform silo. That's just silly. I mean, I, I, I definitely feel that you were correct a couple of weeks ago in your prediction that Elon is just going to slash and burn. And then there's going to be a more, let's say, acceptable to the media folks CEO that does the, quote, healing process. This has got to still be part of it. This is still part of the things that need to be changed that are going to take a lot of heat. And so Elon's the guy that takes that heat because he's got FU money. He can he can kind of be that polarizing figure that takes the blame. And then as they remove him from it, and he focuses more on Tesla again to get that back up and running price-wise, I think it'll be fine. But in the meantime, I think they might end up with a product that none of us really want to use. That's entirely possible. Well, this is, I mean, just going back to the developer side, Twitter has always been a, a difficult mistress, right? Because they're not stable in terms of making actual money. And they have never found a good way to make money off of third-party developers. Which, unfortunately, so a, a common pattern, at least that I've experienced and I've seen other people experience, is medium-sized to larger platform that either isn't like tech in their heart or is uh, just not at the scale yet, right? They don't have their in-house development quite that tight to build like either little integrations to other things or to expand the product for very specific customers that need certain features will often create these integration or add-on API systems. Uh, and they try to create like a small ecosystem. And what usually happens is over time, they slowly turn the levers on you. So then all of a sudden, well, but if you have, you know, you can have, if they build by organization, you can have organizations of up to 50 people, that's fine. But if it's more than that, you have to like talk to us about a rev share, right? There's all kinds of like little levers they turn. Until one day, in the most extreme cases, uh, and like lots of people are burned by Salesforce with this, for example, they will just say, well, no, we're bringing that feature in-house. Right? Uh, Lightning, which is a Salesforce project, there used to be businesses built around making Salesforce more user-friendly and have a better GUI by using the Salesforce API and Salesforce data to basically slap on an easier-to-use dashboard. That is effectively what Salesforce Lightning is. And uh, that you know, that move by Salesforce certainly hurt those third-party businesses. I'm not trying to pick on Salesforce in particular, but it's it's a super clear example. Yeah. And I think the message there is like, these are these, there's a difference between these closed controlled API platforms where these businesses ultimately are going to take anything that's innovative and try to incorporate themselves and something like an open network you know, something like SMTP that's open that anybody could build a mail service on top of. Anybody could set up a mail server that does POP3, IMAP, SMTP, and then build a compelling experience on top of that. And nobody was going to come along and privatize the capabilities of SMTP. Yeah, I, I can actually give you a better example that I personally had to deal with, and I ended up dealing with it by just not doing it. Google, at one point, decided to lock down in the name of security Lots of fairly innocuous things third-party developers could do with the Google Drive API and a number of their other APIs. And for the for a cool $10,000, you could get a security certification and then have access again. <laughs> yes, poor Alice. Uh, <laughs> just, mm. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's lots of Broadway plays about this too and lots of stories, right? You, you don't want to be Beauty with the Beast because usually that doesn't end well for Beauty. Like that Disney's kind of full of crap. So 
yeah, don't do this. Speaking of the beast, I mentioned, you know, Elon's got to pay uh, at least a little bit beginning the end of this month. It looks like ours actually did the math. So I, I, I have a little bit of accounting for us. They write, three people close to the entrepreneur's buyout of Twitter said that the first installment of interest payments related to the $13 billion of debt he used to fund the takeover could be due as soon as the end of January. That debt means the company must pay about $1.5 billion in annual interest payments. So just oh. $1.5 B in interest a year. Well, that's, that's your Panera tab, right? That's nothing. Yeah, probably for him. It's his jet tab. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. Interesting. Cause they just, they're looking at the income of Twitter. I guess Twitter, Twitter is actually beginning to make money. Just this, just in the beginning of January, it looks like according to Ars Technica, but you know, it's still way in the hole, way, 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 way in the hole. <laughs> we are coming up upon the 2024 election, which I have a feeling lots of people who quote left Twitter will be coming back. You mean advertisers? I mean, users, but yeah, of course, where the users go, you know, where the, where oh, the gazelle okay. goes, the lions follow, right? So when the users come back to, to rage tweet about whatever side they're on, the, uh, I mean, don't you want to sell them some sneakers? I don't know. Oh, you think because the Twitter, of course, people are going to come to Twitter to vent. To ve- and then Trump's going to come back, right? I, I mean, oh, man, you're right. If Trump, if Trump comes back, that's going to drag a whole bunch of people back for better or for worse. And Elon's already reopened the account. So, you know, it's, it's going to be, there's a way to money here. It's just not a way that I find particularly great. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I still use Twitter, but I, I could tell you my responses are either much crappier than they used to be, or honestly, much fewer. Uh, we're Mastodon. They're, they're like better. I don't even know what to say. Yeah, I feel like I, I even do better posts on on Masto. I don't post much anywhere, but I, I basically just do replies on Twitter. I find it works for that. Let people know what's going on. Yeah, or like general announcements work well too. But. Mm-hmm. Tailscale.com slash coder. Yes, Tailscale is a secure mesh VPN built on WireGuard, and it installs on any device in minutes. It'll take care of firewall rules if you got some. If you got weird NAT issues, it takes care of that. It is so clever with that. I think one of the reasons why it's so good at these complicated networking problems is one of their co-founders took it on personally to make sure that some of those like carrier NAT situations work bulletproof so that way he could set his mom and dad up on it this <laughs> is benchmark you can quickly and easily create a flat mesh network between your servers your computers your vms your containers your appliances you can do subnet relay if you want and they've recently rolled out tailscale ssh which makes managing your ssh connections between all your machines so great it took me probably about six months before i really started to just redo the way i network all my systems and now all of my infra you know, that's what the kids say. All of my infra is on Tailscale. Even when I'm sitting at home, I'm not going to 192.168.0.2 or whatever. I'm going to my Tailscale IP. I'm, I'm using DNS in that network. It's the same IP, the same name, regardless of where I'm at. You know, if I'm at the studio, if I'm at home, if I'm on the road, if I'm in an airplane, everything just works like I'm on a LAN and it's private and secure. And it's so empowering when you start building this way. It just completely changes the game, and you just totally understand how necessary tooling like this is. And I think Tailscale is the best, and I think you're going to love it, and I know you'll get it up and going in just minutes. So go get started and try it for free for up to 20 devices on a personal account. That's not a trial. That's not a limited-time thing. You get it for free for up to 20 devices, and they can do that because of the way they've architected the Tailscale network. You're sending the traffic between your machines. They're not relaying it through their data centers. You're sending it from machine to machine. In just about every scenario, I think they might, in some scenarios, offer a relay. It's a pretty nice service because they just make all that stuff just work for you, and it feels like magic. I can attest to that. So go try it and support the show. See what I've been talking about at tailscale.com slash coder. Well, OpenAI continues to be in the headlines. Microsoft's made another $10 billion investment. And in return, Microsoft will get 75% of OpenAI's profit until they recoup that $75 billion investment. After that threshold is reached, Microsoft will have a 49% stake. Other investors will be taking the additional 49%. And AI, OpenAI's nonprofit parent gets 
two percent. Well, well, somebody's been watching Shark Tank over at Microsoft. That's a very Kevin O'Leary deal. No kidding. In 2019, Microsoft pumped one billion into OpenAI, and then over the years, they've quietly invested another invested another two billion into OpenAI. So that's on, so in, they're like twelve, thirteen bill now at least into OpenAI. And they're going to have a 49%. One company is going to have a 49% ownership of it. That's, you know, the whole, the whole way this open AI thing got started was, oh my gosh, this is too powerful for any company to own. We've got to open source it. So then they open sourced it. They took some Elon money and they open sourced it. And then they got, they got to this point and they said, oh no, it's too powerful. We got to close source it. We don't want to release this to the world. It's too powerful. We got a closed source. It's now we're going to sell it. And by the way, we're thinking about doing a subscription too. Would you be interested? <laughs> That's where this is gone. And like, do you, do you remember like the early 2000s when we thought everything was going to be open internet and like web 2.0? Everybody has a free open API. Open source was going to conquer the world. And we remember that. Oh, Microsoft. And this is like a classic Microsoft move, too. This is like there's some, you know, executive who's been there since like the 90s. He's like, OK, Satya, watch this one. Like, stop me. It's beautiful. Embrace. Extend. What's the last part again? Yeah. Uh, oh. <laughs> you know what? I respect this move. It's honest. Right. This is just like, yeah, no, we, we're, we're going to like take all your money. Well, it's kind of savage, isn't it? Isn't it? Because I think what it is, I think it's I think it's a long play against Google. And I think it's remarkable that Google has been left out after they acquired DeepMind and they've invested so much in machine learning and to power the Google platform and all of that, that they should be the people that are just completely out of the action right now. I find that to be quite interesting and that Microsoft has rolled Google in not only just investing and getting a significant piece of this open AI pie, but in how they seem to have cultivated this relationship, sort of giving these guys the King's treatment. Every time they'd fly him out to Redmond, they'd go there and see him. Sache would, you know, take time out of his day to go meet with these individuals, these open AI guys, really making them feel like, you know, the cock of the walk. Google missed all of that. They're so busy chasing their own tail and dealing with their own issues. They can't see the forest. And, Microsoft is now going to build this into Bing. They've said as much. They're going to build it into Bing. And I'll tell you what, I'm already using chat GPT for certain search queries. Yeah, that's a good idea, actually. It works. You know, I had it the other night. I had it write me a config file that I would have had to read across three or four different websites. It wrote me the basic config. And then I had a starting point and I went from there and I went and checked it. I was like, yep, this works. And it was significantly faster than using Google. I could definitely see this becoming the Bing search approach, and I think it could actually be a better product. I've said it before on the show. Like, if you want to go to Google and and you want to search for what's the best motor oil or you want to search for what's the best coffee, you're going to get maybe at best a list from a highly linked blog that is suspect. You maybe get a knowledge card that's semi-accurate, but you're more likely just going to get links to, like, lists and reviews and stuff. And essentially, you'll have to take 10, 15 websites in, five websites, maybe at the minimum, and just sort of like extract the information from that versus ChatGPT just doing that for you and then just presenting you with an answer saying XYZ is the best motor oil, according to these people. It's also a little insane that Google didn't go after this harder, given that I could totally see me being like, you know what? Shocker to folks who've been listening for 13 years. I'm not the most handy guy around. Yeah. <laughs> but when I was living alone and even now, I uh, often have to fix plumbing because BlackRock Capital are great landlords. Uh, just fantastic guys, really. Love you guys. Just, you know, toilets. And I never really learned how to do any of that, right? But good old YouTube. Now, after I find the video of the guy who's not like a jackass trying to, you know, like soup up his toilet, it's a thing that exists. There's like toilet add-ons that people do. I you mean like a power flush? Like a turbocharger? Do, do you have this? Oh, no, but this sounds cool. <laughs> okay, okay, Tim the Tool Man Taylor. Well, then I, do I, oh, do oh, I have oh. some links for you later? Um, <laughs> okay. you know, I don't want like the Linus Tech Tips of toilets. I want Bob Vila, right? Or, or Al, if we're going to do home improvement. Sure. And I could imagine a very frustrated me, this might have happened last year, with a flooding bathroom because children thought it was funny or a child thought it was funny to throw four or five rolls of toilet paper into the toilet. Oh, no. 
being like, yo, Google, uh, how do I, obviously you snake the paper out, but how do I stop this? Sending it a picture, chat GTP comes in. I know I'm giving it more credit than, than I should right now, but if they can generate pictures, you can reverse that process, you know, with some work. And then being like, hey, man, here's this YouTube video of Bob Vila or the Property Brothers or whoever the hell, right? Joanna Gaines. And it solves exactly your problem. And then going a step further and being like, if you're a YouTube Red subscriber, we'll get you right to the money of how you do this, right? No no worrying about, you know, their introduction. The, their intro, they're asking for the like and subscribe and to hit the bell. And by the way, on my previous video and guys, you know, while we're di- while we're at it, so-and-so has a special thing right. I want to tell you about. And then you get three minutes into the video and they just reset and they start all over again. Meanwhile, it's all held by their phone. And so they're shaky as crap and they're all over the place and the lighting's horrible. They don't have a proper microphone. Oh my God, dude, just watching those videos gets me so worked up. I have to get over all that just so I can get to the information I want. Because one assumes that if this would be good for Bing, it would be better for Google, the clearly better search engine. Right, especially when you consider their head start on this stuff traditionally and their ginormous vast library of information that they can pull from from everybody's freaking inbox to all these youtube videos to everything like what did microsoft do they worked with OpenAI to give them access to github right that's one of microsoft's properties now like microsoft moved very quickly also with copilot to just take advantage for better or for worse again of this information that they have access to. And Google, I assume, has been doing that, but it seems to only just be making my search results worse. I can't believe we're here because if we were if we were to make a prediction five years ago, three years ago, maybe even a year ago, and we said, who's going to be the ninja killer when it comes to potential future open AI product, products? We would all say Google. We wouldn't have said Microsoft. Nope. I would have gone Microsoft. Microsoft was in... Really? Yep. Remember, the old version of Alice was written on the Microsoft bot framework. They had their Lewis uh, natural language processing engine. And this is, I think, another key to this. It's super relevant for developers. Microsoft is very eager to sell you Bing AI services. I'm sure they're going to maybe, you know, and, and just Bing general data services as part of Azure. There's like a whole developer hub in there where they sell that. Uh, right now they have the bot framework, the Lewis engine, and a bunch of other things. I have a feeling, give them a year to two years, they will package this up into like redistributable products that you can use as a you know pay-as-you-go system on Azure. And I got to tell you, that that's exciting. That's some cool stuff. I think they did just today, actually, announce something with OpenAI and Azure. Yeah. They do something like this for game developers already, where you can run like part of your, uh, and I'm not familiar, I'm just kind of getting into it, uh, but run part of like your game's processing and like kind of AI logic and multiplayer logic in particular on Azure. And they give you a lot of out of the box stuff that they've, you know, learned and developed for their own needs. Azure Open AI is now generally available. So Open AI is just like a service available to developers on Azure now. The thing about this, AWS was commercializing the lessons and the uh, just hardware, basically, that Amazon needed to run Amazon, what Amazon's actual web service, right? So that you could get the advantage of their expertise and their scale. Microsoft could very well become, Azure could become the AWS of AI. Hot take. We'll see what happens. Now, the question is, is it a valid product? Is it actually going to create tooling that is useful? It, or is it all just hype right now? Because you know how the tech industry can be with this stuff. It's going to be useful. It's going to be simple things at first. I, I feel like OpenAI in particular, the genie's out of the bottle. It's beyond the point of just straight failure. Well, you know, I'm using the tooling daily now. I use Stable Diffusion daily. I know. I love your picture. <laughs> I, I use ChatGPT every time it's up. And I find it to be useful for... Silly small things that make my workflow faster. It can extract information from multiple stories and put them in a bolted list for me for my research notes very fast across multiple stories at once. It can summarize our show notes into tags yep. to make it quick to post them very quick. Uh, for LUP last week, we had to take a crack at coming up with three different show descriptions. We didn't go with it, but I did use a sentence from one of them. That matters. That makes it easier for me to do my job at scale because I got to do these things over and over and over again. So that's two different OpenAI technologies I'm using. Seems to be pretty useful to me. At least I think Stable Diffusion is. But either way, very useful. So I, I agree. I think it's. I think it is inevitably, and probably already, going to get loaded 
with hype. It's going to turn people away who are like me, who do not like, like the, like when you smell hype, you just kind of turn away and don't like it. I get that. Well, you just got to not listen. Yeah. You got to tune it out and you got to try it for yourself and realize, okay, there's actual, I think genuine functionality here with a lot of noise and mess. And I think that's where your hot take may have just freaking nailed it because you got it right. What AWS did is they took free software, hardware, and expertise that they needed, and they commercialized that. And that turned out to be something that a lot of people needed solved for them because the problems were sort of complex. Yeah, it's hard. And I can see that same thing with this type of, and not just chat GPT, but wherever this goes over the next decade, I could see Microsoft trying very hard to become that platform. AI services that inherently require massive compute, massive data sets, massive resources, right? They just inherently require tons of scale. And Microsoft could add, can offer that as a monthly service. I could totally see that. And they're the ones that are kind of hungry enough to really alter their core product enough to make it a viable offering. See, this is the thing, right? It, you know, I was listening to certain podcasts from tech sites that somebody's right that I probably should stop reading. And, you know, they're thinking Skynet and like Rosie the Robot from uh, Jetsons for the AI stuff. And that's uh, brought to us by the letter bullshit. It's more going to be AI-assisted technology. So think about automation scripts backed up with a nice AI supercharger. God damn it, Chris, you've got uh, tool time on my mind now. <laughs> but, you know, I, I mean, again, our, our Excel pivot table warriors out there are going to use the crap out of this once it's integrated into Excel. And if you don't think it's going to get integrated into the Office Suite, in particular Excel, you have no idea how much money Excel is worth to Microsoft. It is. If Excel was its own business. Just Excel. Yeah. And Outlook and Word. And yeah, but just Excel. Yep. Now, do you think this means that Microsoft has to become the de facto uh, legal defender? Because today I saw a lawsuit is warming up. And then last week in between shows, another lawsuit was announced to go after mostly it seems to be the stable diffusion image generation stuff, including like um, a trio of artists that have launched uh, a lawsuit against Stability AI and Mind Journey. And then I think this morning, Getty Images also announced a lawsuit against Stability AI. Uh, so it seems like it's heated up. And I think one of them even is going after Copilot as well, as you expected. So the lawsuits are here. And again, this is, I think, something that could also lead to inherently centralizing sort of AWSing these services is it's going to need a rich defender with deep pockets. I mean, I think Microsoft will do some of that. I think they're also going to do the thing that Microsoft has become very adept at and be like, you know, we are the responsible player in the tech industry. And, I, you know, it, it's tough, right? Because I know a lot of us are kind of Linux stands here, but it's hard to underestimate how much of the tech blowback from, in particular, politicians, Microsoft has just ingeniously dodged. I don't think anybody is coming after them. I mean, somebody is going to sue Codepilot, right? It's going to be the EFF or, or you know, Software Freedom or whoever. It's going to be one of those guys. And Microsoft will either take down the offending project or settle it. Because they, they don't have the negative will required for, you know, political action at all. They're, they're not Facebook. I mean, their big, biggest asset is not being Facebook. So I don't see it. They're, yeah. They figured out how to deal with Washington about a decade before the new kids did. And so. Well, because they got slapped. I mean. Yeah. Yep. That's turns out that whole Internet Explorer monopoly lawsuit was a very very expensive, very embarrassing educational experience that I think Microsoft has uh, leveraged since. And I think you're absolutely right. They navigate that more clever. And, you know, they've been at the center of some serious issues, too, like that whole Pentagon Amazon battle over data center uh, rights, a bunch of copyright stuff, a TikTok. Remember when Sache was like talking to Trump about taking over TikTok? Like they're wired in, man. It's not like they're just ignoring that whole DC world. They are absolutely tapped in. And uh, they would probably love to sell services, AI services to the government. That would just be fantastic. Where do you sign up? Poor Oracle. Ask not what your podcast can boost for you. 
But what you can boost for your podcast? The Code Jedi, JJ, boosted in with 17,010 sats. There once was a dev who would spill his coffee and soda. With thrill, he'd curse and he'd moan as he reached for a loan to buy yet a new laptop still. Uh, that's from chat GPT. Apparently sent in by Jar Jar Binks. I take it all back. This is Skynet. Shut it the hell down. <laughs> there once was a dev who would spill his coffee and soda with a thrill. He'd curse and he'd moan as he reached for a loan to buy yet another new laptop still. <laughs> That's almost, it almost works, ChatGPT. Almost. It's pretty good. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, if I was like TS, you know, TAing, you know, a poetry class, I'd probably give that a Good, good mark. Yeah. Uh, Mofoda comes in with 11,000 sats. What great intro music. Or he said Greece. But I think he meant great. Yeah, we played the extended intro. Yes, yes. In episode 500 to celebrate. Alwyn Konchak's boosted in with 5,500 sats. First time I listened to you guys and what a, what a funny coincidence. We at Konchak's, that's C-O-N-S-H-A-X dot app. We use WebAssembly to process your boost. So this is a... Really cool, like analytics dashboard where it can show like your like it'll dig into all of the boosts and give you like information about who's a frequent booster, you know, timelines, shows, all that kind. Of, it's really nice page, really beautiful actually, and they're doing it in WebAssembly, which we were talking about last week. But here's the question: like, I want to understand what is what does it begin as? Does it does it start life as? A web app that gets built down to WebAssembly? Like, I'd be interested all in what that process is like. Like, what are you writing it in natively? And then before it gets delivered as WebAssembly. Logic boosted with 500 sats. Gentlemen, congratulations on episode 500. I added that part. Uh, And also 100 sats to say thanks for covering that Amazon story about the 18,000 people getting laid off. It's interesting and important. And then... Duolingo Spanish learner boosts in with 2,000 sats. My wife is not a technology lover and has complained every single time the Duolingo interface has changed. Currently, she has quit it altogether. I, on the other hand, am in love with the latest iteration, at least with the Spanish for English speakers. My new linear path, I have much greater sense of progress in my learning. All right, I was surprised this Duolingo update thing has taken off so much. So I asked my wife and daughter, intense like my wife's on almost 600 days straight of duolingo and my 12 year old daughter is almost on a year straight like 300 she's like on 358 days straight of duolingo not missing a single day right so i'm talking when i say this app when this app holds retention i'm talking like it holds retention and my daughter she actually got this ui update that everybody's upset about early she was in the beta program she just got selected for it and got it first before the rest of the family did so everybody was looking at hers And then eventually everybody got the update. My wife loves the update, thinks it's a lot clearer. My daughter, who actually was in the beta, does not like the update, still does not like, she's still using the app. They've still got her, but she is not happy with it. So it really seems to be a taste thing. I was surprised to hear both of them have completely different takes on it. Um, It's funny how those things just really work out when it comes to UI. I just, it's a tough one for developers to get right, I suppose, but. I'm tempted to try it. They seem to really like it. It is kind of fun to learn a new language, I suppose. Uh, Tackoff 751 boosts in with 178 sats. Make it so. This is how many Star Trek The Next Generation episodes there are. And I blame you guys. I've now started watching it. I'm already on season two after three days. Whoa. Damn. You know what, man? Burning through season one is the way to do it. Yeah. Because by season two, it starts getting pretty watchable. And by season three... It's amazing. You know, it's great. The only thing about two is like, you gotta, you gotta like prepare your body for Pulaski. You know, you gotta, you gotta get ready for Pulaski. Uh, and I recommend you watch the Medusan episode of the original series because that actress plays a role that has an interesting twist in that episode. So congratulations, Tech. Good on you. Now, I think when you get to season three, you might want to consider slowing down and reflecting on the episodes a little bit couple of shows you might want to listen to when you get to that is Mission Log. They uh, do an episode for every episode, so you can go find whatever episode of TNG you just watched and listen to Mission Log. And I also want to recommend uh, The Greatest Discovery, a Star Trek podcast for you. And uh, try those out. Oh, I will check that out. Yeah, they're great to do watch-alongs. Like, or you watch the episode and then you listen because they do commentary and thoughts and they get you thinking about it. And as a Star Trek fan, when you've watched it once or twice... 
or maybe a thousand times, and then you listen to the podcast, it gets you thinking in a new way. It makes you appreciate it, and they give you a little behind-the-scenes tidbits, and, you know, most of the time you haven't heard about them. It's great. All right, well, that's the boost. We only got one boost in there uh, congratulating us on the 500 episode, but thank you, Logic, for doing that. Appreciate you very much. And, of course, you know what? Our inbox is still open. If you'd like to send us a boost, there's several ways you can do it. You can get a new podcast app. They're getting better all the time. Fountain.fm just released a new version, new UI. It's beautiful. Podverse, open source, GPL, web-based, Android, and iOS. Syncs across all of them. I'm a premium member. I absolutely love it. So if you want to get a new podcast app and support all the podcasting 2.0 stuff, lots of things in there like transcripts, chapters, new search, clips, and boosts newpodcastapps.com. If you want to keep your damn podcast app, but you'd still like to send us one of these newfangled boosts, then go to getalby.com, get the Albi extension, and then just go to the podcast index, find Coda Radio, and boost us from there. And uh, send us a boost from there, and we'll uh, read it on a future show. And of course, if you're a member of the show, we appreciate your ongoing support. Keeps the production going, allows us to plan and say no to sponsors, which I should grab one of those emails we've gotten some. That are, I think, show worthy. So I'll do that in the future. Quality stuff. Really some some nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they also try to, like, guilt me. So another thing they're doing now is they're replying back. And I think it's because it bumps it up in, the in like, the Gmail stack. And they're, like, they're trying to guilt trip me. Hey, I know you're really busy, but, look, I'm just trying to get a hold of you. Like, this kind of stuff. It's really funny. It's the funny. It's like this. They try to shame me into reading their email and doing a deal with them. Like, that's going to work. It's not very effective. No. I am just so thankful for the members to give us that kind of flexibility, the ability to say no. CoderQA.co or Jupiter.party for all the shows. And a Coderly report. A Coderly report is coming soon. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you want to send people this week before we get out of here? Uh, go to Atumunoko on Twitter. And uh, if you want, join the Gamer Radio Discord. We're playing a MTG Arena Brawl tournament Friday at 9. Aha, uh-huh, fun. Yeah, good times. All right, everybody, you have been warned. You know, you know what I'm saying? You have been warned. You can also join our Matrix chat. We have that going during the live show, but it goes all week long. Coder.show slash Matrix for that. I like the element client, but if you want something simpler, fluffy chat's really great too. Because it's an open protocol, an open network. So the clients will never get cut off. Isn't that funny? Huh. What an idea. Maybe that's the place to invest for the future. So Coder.show slash Matrix for that. And Coder.show slash contact. If you'd like to send us an email, use that old open SMTP pop three and IMAP. Why not? Use it while you got it. And links to what we talked about today, those are over at coder.show slash 501. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode of Coder Radio. And we'll see you right back here next week.